Has anyone else um, ever asked God for a million dollars? When I was a little fella, I was um, in bed and I was just praying, you know, dear God, if you're real, prove it to me. Let there be a million dollars under my bed when I wake up in the morning. And you know what? The next morning, there was not a million dollars under my bed. It it didn't work. But I wonder what kind of picture of God I had in my head when I prayed that prayer. Was I picturing God like some kind of a vending machine? Like it may be a fairy godmother in the sky just existing to grant my wishes? And I wonder, how do you picture God? I want you right now just to try to, to picture God, to think about what you think he's like. What do you think God is like? Whatever it is you're thinking, it is far too small. The message tonight is that God is bigger than you have ever realized. And I'm going to make the claim that the biggest problem in your life is that your view of God is too small. Listen to William's story. For a long time, I didn't have any self-esteem. The only time I felt good was when I had $100 sneakers and a $60 sweatshirt. If I didn't have them, I didn't want to go to school. Who would have thought that beneath William's tough, cool image was an ego that could be crushed simply by cheap shoes? Of course, shoes weren't exactly his problem. The problem was William's reputation. It was what other people thought about his shoes and therefore him. Call it what you will, reputation, peer pressure. William's life was controlled by other people. And in that, he was no different from anyone else. Do you relate to that? I do. That's from this book called When People Are Big and God Is Small. And he's saying that the problem is that people are too big in our lives and God is too small. And the answer is to realize that our God is more loving and more powerful than we ever imagined. God must be bigger to you than other people are. And when you care more about God's opinion than other little human beings, you're free. Someone once said that what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. Because when your view of God is broken, then your religion is broken. And history shows that when our religion is broken, we are broken and our society is broken. Fifty years ago, a world-famous magazine um, asked this question, Is God dead? society's been saying, you know, the idea of God, it's kind of outdated. It's kind of time to move on. But look where we are 50 years later. Anxiety, depression, they're on the rise. I know this is going on for a lot of you. I know it hurts. They're calling it an epidemic. And I know there are lots of factors. I'm not saying if you get God right, all of that goes easy. But there is a connection here. The passage that we've just read from the Bible, Isaiah chapter 40, was written to a group of people who'd lost their confidence in God. Anxiety was high. They were making bad decisions. And into that, God sends a message through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, look at verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. 
And that's my goal tonight, to, to say to you, here is your God. Because what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I don't claim to have it all sorted out, but God has given us this word to tell us what he's really like. And so, like, and so tonight, you desperately need to see God as he really is. But maybe you think, that's not the answer. God's not real. Here's the problem with that. It just doesn't fit the evidence. Let me tell you about a guy called Anthony Flew. Anthony Flew was a world-famous atheist, someone who doesn't believe in God. He was one of the biggest philosophers in the world. And for 30 year, or 50 years, he debated against Christians saying, there is no God. And then he changed his mind. And he said, I believe in God now. And he wrote a book about it. Why did he change his mind? Science. He said that the recent scientific discoveries point to a God. The more we discover about the laws of nature, the fine-tuning of the universe for exactly the right conditions that allow life to exist, the more we learn about DNA, the more it becomes clear that the most likely explanation is that behind it all is an intelligent God. The evidence points to the fact that God is real. But we didn't really need that, did we? The Bible's been saying it all along. Look at verse 26 on the other side of your piece of paper. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power. Not one of them is missing. Let me ask you this. Where do you think everything came from? Big question, I know, but seriously. If you say the Big Bang, that's great, me too, all right? But where did the Big Bang come from? You can't say that science made it, okay? Science is great. It tells us how things happened. But science itself didn't do it. Science itself didn't make the Big Bang. And you know what? Science can't tell us where it all came from. It says the universe has a beginning, just like the Bible says, actually. But where did the Big Bang come from? I'm serious. What's your answer to that? Atheism is wrong. It doesn't make sense. It can't explain the most basic questions. But the Bible's got the answer. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord, the everlasting God, is the creator of the ends of the earth. God is real and he's the creator. Which means he made you. You're not an accident. You have value because you were made by God. And that means God owns you because he made you. But some of you guys are thinking, okay, yeah, 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 but where did God come from? Well, verse 28 has the answer to that as well. The Lord is the everlasting God. God didn't come from anywhere. Now, that might sound like a cop-out to you, but let me explain. Science and the Bible, they agree on this. The universe had a beginning. Now, when something begins to exist... Something had to happen to make it exist. And so then you can ask, well, what made that exist? What made that happen? And then you can ask, okay, well, what made that exist that started that off? And so on. You can keep asking that question, but eventually you need to arrive at something that was already there, that always existed. 
that got the whole thing going. Something had to already be there. And so what do you call the thing that always existed and was powerful enough to create a whole universe? The Bible calls it God. And God doesn't have a beginning. He's the everlasting God. You can go back as far as you like in time. God's there. In fact, you can go back before there even was such a thing as time. God's there. He doesn't need a creator. He makes everything else exist, but he doesn't need anything to make him exist. That's what it means to be God. And that's why we call tonight God like no other. There's nothing else like this. I mean, do you know how much power God has? Unlimited power. Look at the end of verse 28. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Check this out, all right? I found this. Um, This is a pretty powerful 16-year-old. He broke a world record uh, for the most number of concrete blocks smashed with your head. 111 in just over half a minute, okay? That's kind of impressive, I think. That's a pretty powerful head. But that doesn't even compare with God, right? Because he had a limit, 111. But one of the things to get about God is he doesn't have limits. Look at this, um, Jeremiah chapter 32. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? What would you do if you had all power? I'm glad you don't. (laughs) North Korea's nuclear weapons, America's, they're pretty powerful. It might make you nervous. But put them in perspective. Compared to God's power, they're less than a sneeze. That's why verse 23 says that God is in control. He rules over the events of the world. Verse 23 says he brings princes to naught. And reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. And in fact, as Sky read this chapter, maybe you realized God is really, really big. Have you ever been um, in the middle of the ocean and you kind of look out on every side and all you can see is water on every side? And you know that if you swam down, You could swim as far as you like. You would black out well before you got to the bottom. In fact, they say that you could put Mount Everest in the deepest part of the sea and it would still be covered by two kilometers of water. The ocean's really big. But verse 12 on your handout says that God could put all the oceans of the world into the palm of his hand. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens, who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance? God is so big, he could put the earth in his backpack. He could weigh Mount Everest like an apple at Coles. I took a photo of the room we're in. No, I didn't. Google did. Um, And you might think, you know, this is a pretty big room. But if you were to zoom out to the size of the Central Coast, you'd have a hard time even finding this room. And in fact, if you zoomed out a little bit more, you'd have a hard time finding the Seni Coast, okay? But I want to show you something I stole from Louis Giglio. Um, Some of you might have seen it. NASA sent a space probe um, to study the solar system, and it flew away from us at 64,000 kilometers per hour for 13 years. And just as it left our solar system, they asked it to turn around and take a photo, one last photo. 
from 6 billion kilometers away. And you know what they sent back? This. We're in that. Can you see us? We might have to zoom in. That's us there. That's Earth. Less than a pixel. And someone commented, that's here. That's home. That's us. On that, everyone you've ever heard of, every human who ever lived, lived out their lives. Every hero and coward, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every inventor and explorer, every saint and savior, oh wait, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a speck of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The universe is big, right? That's just our solar system, let alone the rest of the universe. And verse 12 says that God could measure all of that like that, with the palm of his hand. Look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? God is really, really, really big. He is bigger than we have measurements for. He's bigger than we have categories for. In fact, he's bigger than we can get our little heads around, which is why this passage says that God is incomparable. Look at verse 18. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? Isaiah is saying you can't find anything to compare God to. Every comparison falls short. God is in a category of his own. And tonight, we need to get our heads around the difference between the creator, the one who made everything, and the creation, everything that's made. I want, look at these three pictures on the slide. I hope you can see that. I want you to think, which one of these is right? Is it number one? Is, you know, God is the universe, and the universe is God. There's a bit of God in everything. No, that's not right. There's a difference between the person who makes something and the stuff that they make. A builder is not the same as the house that he builds. God the maker is not the same as the stuff that he made. So maybe it's number two. Maybe God is kind of like the best part of the universe. Maybe you think that. No, that actually makes the same mistake. It's saying that um, you know, God is just another thing in the universe. But God made the universe. He didn't make himself. He's not just another part of the universe. He's not even the best part. So maybe it's number three. Maybe the universe is kind of like a body part of God. But would that mean that before God made the universe, there was kind of like a part of him missing? The Bible says, no, that's not right either. The universe is not part of God. You want to know what the real picture looks like? It looks like this. You can divide everything that exists into two categories, God and everything else. On the one side, there's God. He's got no creator. He's always existed. And on the other side, everything else has been made. It hasn't always existed. And so on that side is the universe. It's you and me, even angels. Where would you put angels? Everything else. And that's why um, we need to get our heads around the difference between creator and creation. Because that's why Isaiah says that God is like no other. He's incomparable. Look at verse 25. To whom then will you compare me or who is my equal, says the Holy One. And do you know what that means? 
It means that any analogy that we use about God falls short. You know, if I say God's love for us is like a father's love for his newborn baby, a newborn baby, (laughs) that's true, right? But actually, a father's love for his newborn baby doesn't even compare to God's love. It's kind of like a stick figure drawing of it. I drew a stick figure drawing of my wife, all right? That's Monique, and it's kind of like her. My wife's really cool, so that's why she's wearing sunglasses, and she's really good looking, that's why she's glowing, and she's really happy, so that's why there's a big smile on her face, right? That's kind of like my wife. Except when you meet my wife, she just is so much better than that that it doesn't even compare. It's another level, all right? That's what every analogy that you've ever heard about God is like. It's like a stick figure drawing of God compared to the real thing. We need to realize this tonight. God is not just a bigger version of us. Verse 25 says, He's unlike anything you have ever experienced or imagined. Let me give you some examples. For example, the Bible says God is all good, completely good, 100% good. And you're like, yeah, I've experienced good stuff. No, 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 you've never experienced anything that's perfectly good before. Um, I got a Big Mac on the way here. And a Big Mac, right, they taste good, don't they? I think they do. They smell good. Um. (laughs) A Big Mac. It tastes good. But afterwards, you feel kind of sick, don't you? It's not that good. God's not like that. God is... Good all the way through. The Bible says there's not even a trace of evil or badness in him. All the other goodness in the world, the best thing that you have ever experienced, was like a trickle from the fountain of God's goodness. The Bible says that God is everywhere all at once. He's the same. um, He's not limited by a body like you and me. He's everywhere. The Bible says that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says God knows everything. That's what verse 14 in your piece of paper is about. It's saying um, God is infinitely intelligent. He's perfectly wise. He knows the future. He knows your thoughts. He knows even what you look at on your phone. Every scientific discovery, God thinks, ah, you worked that out, did you? That's cool. I could keep going. The Bible says that God is glorious. The Bible says that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. That one would blow your minds if we spent some time there. But um, really, we can only scratch the surface. And I hope you're just getting the idea that God is really, really, really incredible. But I want to share something with you that should shock you. When I say these three words, you should find it hard to believe. Because when you see this insane, mind-blowing, words can't describe God, this should shock you. He loves you. Not just people in general. This God like no other, he loves you. Now maybe that didn't shock you because we just assume, yeah, of course he would. Why wouldn't he? Because we're picturing God like some fairy magical thing that just exists to exact, for this exact purpose, to love me and give me whatever I want. 
when you see God as he really is, it's crazy. This God, like no other, wants a relationship with you. He doesn't need you. He's not lonely. The Bible says God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your worship. He doesn't need you at all. But he wants you. And he made you for a relationship with him. The Bible says that God's people will one day see him face to face. A lot of the language about God, you know, it's, it's kind of like metaphors. What's it going to be like to see God face to face? And we will just be with him forever. That is the ache of our souls. Deep down, there is a God-shaped hole in each one of us. I know that's corny to say, but it's true. Because God made you for a relationship with him and your heart longs for that. And you'll try to fill that hole with all sorts of things, but your heart won't be satisfied until it finds its rest in God. Because that's what you were made for. But here's the thing. You have broken that relationship. You have, I have, we all have, we've blown it. Now this might be news to you tonight, but there is a problem between you and this God and the Bible calls it sin. And it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, uh, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This big God that we've seen tonight, the Bible said you've treated him like he's nothing to you. You've ignored him. You've done things that you knew he wouldn't want. You've deliberately broken his laws. He knows everything. He knows I have, you have, we all have, the Bible says. And that's really bad because he made us, which means he had the right to call the shots. Look at verse 10. It says he rules with a mighty arm. He's the ruler. And it says, if you keep reading in verse 10, see his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Recompense means repayment. God is a God who repays people according to what they've done because he's a fair God and what that means is that you and I deserve punishment for the way that we've treated God. We've broken his laws. The punishment is what the Bible calls hell. And it's not scare tactics if it's true. I want you to know that is the path that you are on. But I want to show you one last thing about God. Maybe the most amazing thing of all. This God, like no other, is a God who died for us. This is, um, there are no words for this. Because um, despite the way that you treated him, God still loves you. Romans chapter 5 verse 8, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while we hadn't done anything to deserve this, God came to earth in the person of Jesus to save you. If we kept reading in Isaiah, the 
a few pages later, we would come to this verse. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, that's talking about Jesus, the iniquity, a word that means sin, of us all. The Creator actually stepped into creation. And he died on the cross to pay the punishment that you deserved to take away your sins. I'll give you an illustration of this. About 100 years ago, there was a train carrying explosives and it was stopped in a town. And the train caught fire. This is a true story. And there was a man in that town and he ran over to the train and he jumped on and he drove it out of the town. And you, you can probably guess what happened. The train exploded. They felt the explosion 16 kilometers away. The man died. But the town survived and they, they named the town after him. That's what God did for you. There was a truck full of punishment that you earned, you deserved, headed your way. But God loves you so much that he came to earth in Jesus to pay that punishment with his own life. Except this wasn't one human dying for another human or one human dying for a town. This was God dying for humans who rejected him. Can you believe it? The hard thing to believe is not that God exists. That's easy. Where else did everything come from? The hard thing to believe is that the God who does exist would let himself be hung up on a cross to die for human beings who couldn't care less about him. Because he loves them and wants a relationship with them. And he knew that this was the only way. This is a God like no other. And so here's the question for you tonight. Do you want a relationship with this God? Because it's not automatic. Not everyone has this. You have to turn back to him. And so God says to you tonight, do you want to start again? Your sin destroyed our relationship. But I came to earth as Jesus, God says, to take away your sin so you can come back to me forgiven. Do you want to start a relationship with this God tonight? Let me tell you what it looks like to do that. Number one, you ask Jesus to save you. Number two, you put God back in the right place in your life. Number one, you ask Jesus to save you. You're not trying to earn your way back in. You just ask Jesus to forgive you. You say to him, I'm sorry, I've blown it. You haven't had the place in my life that you deserve. Please forgive me. Please let Jesus' death on the cross for me take my punishment. So that's number one, you ask Jesus to save you. Number two, you put God back into the right place in your life. Now, this is more than just realizing there's a gap in my life. You know, here's my life. Oh, there's something missing. I better get some God in there. I better add some God. No, 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 no. When 
you realize who God is, it needs to flip your life over completely. And God needs to become the biggest reality in your life. Everything else moves out of the way. In fact, everything else gets rearranged by how God says it should look. Because your life revolves around Him now. That's why we call it Coast Youth Revolution. That's the revolution we're talking about. Now, that's not what saves you doing that. Jesus' death on the cross is what saves you. But if you want to come back to God, that's what it looks like. You ask Jesus to save you, and you put God back into the right place in your life. And you get to start a relationship with, with God. Talking to Him. Trusting Him. Knowing that He's forgiven you. Knowing that you'll spend eternity with Him. And you know what I've found? Your self-esteem, the opinions of other people, all that stuff that stresses you out, they start to fade into the background. Now don't get me wrong, life will still be hard. But they just start to matter less to you when you know that you are accepted and loved by a God this big. But the best thing of all is that you get a relationship with God. That's the best thing. And so you need to make a decision tonight. What place will this God have in your life? God is saying to you tonight, do you want a relationship? The relationship that I made you for, he says. Maybe you know that you've never actually had a relationship with God and you want to start one tonight. Or maybe you have a relationship, but you're drifting away. And tonight you want to say sorry to God and put him back in the right place in your life. If you're in either of those situations, you know how to come back to God, don't you? It's on the screen. Is that something that you want to do tonight? If it is, in a moment... um, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer. The prayer is going to come up on the screen. Now, these aren't magic words, all right? You can't just say these words and then walk out of here and forget all about God. That'll do nothing. No, no, no. If you mean this, your life has to start to change. It's a big decision. God will move in and he'll start to run your life from now on. But do you want to do that tonight? You've got a decision to make. Now, some of you, you've already got a relationship with God. You know it's not perfect, but you you have asked Jesus to save you and you are trying to live for him. Let me encourage you. Keep trusting Jesus. Isn't he a great God? Enjoy that relationship. Keep getting to know God better. Read your Bible. Spend time praying to him. And I know some of you, you, you may not be ready to make this decision. And it would be better to think about a bit longer than rush into it. And let me urge you, deal with this. Talk to someone tonight. Don't just forget about it. But I've been praying and I suspect some of you right now, you do want to come back to God. You do want to pray that prayer and mean it. And if that's you, I'm going to give you a minute to talk to God on your own. And to start that relationship by praying to God. Now, if you don't want to do that, that's okay. Just sit there quietly. But if you do want to do business with God right now and start a relationship, 
why don't you pray to him? You can use the words on the screen that if that's what you want to say, and then I'll wrap up in a minute. So why don't we just take a quiet moment, and if, if you want to start a relationship with God, pray to him right now. Thank you that when we're weak, you're strong. Thank you that you made everything. You're real. You're the everlasting God. You're all-powerful, all-knowing. Everywhere, you're all good. You're holy and perfect. And you know all about us. And despite that, you still love us. And despite our rebellion against you, you sent Jesus. You came to earth to die for us. Father, I pray, please, that we would live our lives with you in the right place. And I pray that as we get a bigger view of you, you would free us to love other people and not be afraid of them. I pray that there will be people here tonight who start a relationship with you. And I pray you'd forgive them. I pray you'd help them to live for you from now on. From now on. Please help them to get into your word, the Bible, and to enjoy that relationship. Thank you so much for the God that you are and the way that you want us in, your, uh, in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.